I'm afraid for many people, they used to love Jesus more than they do right now. But the pattern and the path of the Christian ought to be one of onwards and upwards. Always growing, always pressing forward, not going back, onwards and upwards. I want to share with you something tonight that God has put on my heart. And he has, it's not something I've learned yet, but it's something he's teaching me. And it's on this great subject of prayer. And I believe one of the reasons God has allowed this virus to take place and allowed this lockdown to happen is to teach his people to pray. To take all excuses away from them. To remove all hindrances and previously given excuses as to why they cannot pray. I want you to take God's word with me, please, and turn to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, we have an excellent portion of scripture that deals with prayer. Really, you have uh, three different sections that form one thought on prayer. I want to look together at this part of the scriptures. Luke chapter 11, a well-known preacher in London was one time giving an excuse uh, to Andrew Murray as to why he didn't have time to pray. A very successful minister. Oh, he prayed, but why he couldn't pray more. He explained to Mr. Murray that he was already very busy in the Lord's work. He had much to do every morning in the Lord's work. Many letters to write and correspondence he was involved in. Many meetings in the afternoon, counseling meetings and different things. And then there was sermon preparation and time of studying the books and things. And, and you know, he just was very busy in the Lord's work. And to give more time to prayer really wasn't possible. Maybe that's the way you think tonight. You're just too busy. Andrew Murray responded like this. My answer was in substance that it was simply a question of whether the call of God for our time and attention was of more importance than that of man. If God was waiting to meet us and to give us blessing and power from heaven for his work, it was a short-sighted policy to put other work in the place which God and waiting on him should have. I wonder if you're looking at prayer with a very short-sighted view. Luke chapter 11, let's read together, beginning in verse number 1. If you'd like to follow along, I'll be reading from verse 1 to verse 13 of Luke chapter 11. And it came to pass that as he was praying, that's Jesus, in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, 
For we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, Will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? And may God add his blessing. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word tonight. Let's take a little moment here to pray before we go any further with this text. Father in heaven, we come before thy presence again tonight. And our prayer now is that we would be fed from thy word. We know that there is no word from the mouth of man that has any power or authority or ability to heal our broken hearts. There is no word, there are no words from the mouth of men that can save the wandering soul, that can guide us or direct us. But Father, if we would hear thy word, if it would be the words of Jesus Christ or the words from heaven above, then all that we need would be met. And so tonight, Lord, we repeat those words that the disciples asked our dear Savior, Lord, teach us to pray. We pray that this sermon, this message tonight, this passage of Scripture would be used of Thee to change each one of us. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, Amen. I believe with all of my heart that the greatest failure in Christianity today is our failure to pray. Full stop. The greatest failure in our lives is not that we're not evangelistic enough, although we always could be more evangelistic. Our greatest failure is not that we are not as good 
teachers and preachers as we should be, although we could always improve and teach better and clearer and preach more passionately and more powerfully. But I believe the greatest problem in all of Christianity across the board, in every country, in every church, in every life, our greatest failures are prayer failures. All of us. You've heard me say it before. It's not original with me. I've heard many men say it and quote it. But our prayer life is our Christian life. And you can measure your Christianity by your prayer life. And if you're not praying much, then you can be certain that you're not living, communing the way you ought to. Prayer is the key. It is the bond that connects us with our Heavenly Father. It's the avenue through which we talk to God and He talks to us through prayer and His Word. It's the avenue through which blessings are given, received. It is of utmost importance. And why do you think it is so hard to pray? Don't you think that Satan knows Perhaps the greatest tool on earth we have alongside of God's word with his spirit is this gift of prayer. That's why it's so hard. That's why every time you try to pray, your phone rings. And a child comes and needs some help. and Every time you try to pray, your thoughts just get muddled up. And every time you try to pray, you get distracted and you fall asleep. Oh, you can sit and watch a television program for two hours straight and not blink an eye. But try to sit down and pray for two minutes and you fall asleep. Why is that? Well, I just, I can't sit still long enough, but yet you can sit still on Facebook for hours on end. I just can't concentrate, but you can concentrate on all the projects you're doing at work. Prayer is essential. It's interesting to me in this little text, in verse number one, the Bible says, as he was praying, as Jesus was praying. Would you look here for a moment? If it was important for Jesus to pray, do you not think it's important for you and I to pray? As he was praying in a certain place. Many people believe he had a very specific place. Or at least he was intentional about going somewhere to pray. He didn't just lay on his bed. You can lay on your bed and pray. I do that sometimes as well. But if you're like me, when you lay on your bed to pray, it's not long before lights out. He went somewhere, didn't he? When he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, when he stopped praying, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to preach. Is that what he said? Lord, we want to be great preachers like you, Jesus. Can I tell you, the world does not need another great preacher The world needs another great prayer. And the disciples didn't say, Lord, teach us to preach or teach us to heal or teach. No, no, no. Teach us to pray. They understood that when Jesus went to praying, something was happening. Can I ask you a question? What happens when you pray? Teach us to pray. And so thus we're given that pattern of prayer. We often refer to it as the Lord's Prayer, and, and rightly so. And, and uh, a lot of times people 
find great comfort in repeating the Lord's Prayer, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And I'm not saying it's wrong at all to repeat the Lord's Prayer, but I think what Jesus was doing, he was giving us a pattern of prayer. Because if you look at Matthew chapter 6, we find the parallel passage. And in verse number 9, Jesus says, After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Here's what he was saying. Pray like this. Here's a pattern for your prayers. Look at it there briefly. We could take a sermon on the pattern of that prayer, but look at it with me. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You see the way that the Lord Jesus begins that prayer? With reverence to God. Oh God, you are holy. Hallowed be thy name. Now it would do us right if we begin every prayer with a bit of worship. Worship and adore who we're praying. Sometimes we're so busy, we're so in such a hurry to get our prayers answered, we rush right in there. God, I need this, I need this, would you please do this for me? And we never take time to recognize how great and awesome he is. Prepare your heart. Prepare the way by praising and worshiping him. Hallowed be thy name. Thy, look what he says next. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Before he ever started asking for things, Jesus gives us this pattern. Before we ever start asking, Lord, I need this and we need this. No, 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 no. He says, thy kingdom come. A recognition that all of life is about the kingdom of God. All of our life and thus all of our praying and all of our work ought to be with the mindset and the view that God has a kingdom that is coming, that is being established, and that's the way we ought to pray. And so when we pray for somebody who's ill, we pray for them with this thought in mind, Lord, for the sake of the furtherance of your kingdom, heal this person. You see what I'm saying? Don't heal them because we want them to feel, we do want them to feel better, that's not wrong, but there's a bigger picture, isn't there? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done before a request ever goes out. Lord, I really could use a bigger house. No, no, no. Thy will be done. And then your petition. Before you ever get to asking, God, your will is best. That's what he says. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. Then give us day by day our daily bread. I think the Lord Jesus teaches us we are so quick to pray for things we don't really need. Give us what we need, Lord. Day by day. Not next year. And Lord, I'm praying that when my children, I've got six of them, I don't know how I'm ever going to pay for the university education. No, 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 no. Lord, help me to have food to feed them today. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Day by day. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Are you having a hard time forgiving somebody tonight? Well, it will help you in forgiving others if you remind yourself of the fact that the Lord Jesus has forgiven you. Now, we don't need for Jesus to die on the cross again for our sins. He did it once for all. But do you remember what Jesus said to Peter that night in the upper room when Jesus went around to wash their feet? Jesus said, no way, no way, Jose. No way, Lord. You're never going to touch my feet. No way. And Jesus said, if you won't let me wash your feet, then you've got nothing to do with me. He said, okay, Lord, then not just my feet. Wash all of me. He was a bit impulsive, wasn't he, like some of us? 
And so Jesus said, no, no, no. Those who are clean need not to be washed again, but their feet do. Meaning, when you've been born again, you need not for Jesus to die on the cross for your sins again. You don't need to be born again and again and again and again. But we do walk in a dirty world. And we can't help but be affected by the sin around us. So it would do your soul good to bring all that before the Lord daily. When's the last time you did? I was considering this text all week long. I went to see a dear sister, or dear sister Shola here recently and spent a little time in prayer. And she brought a text to my attention, uh, one that had nothing to do with the conversation that we were, we were having. But it was exactly what God wanted me to see. I, was, I don't know what I was talking about. We were talking about something entirely different, maybe the language barrier there, but she, she brought us to Galatians and brought my attention to that little passage of Scripture. And it dealt with, she didn't know, I was, I was thinking much on this text in Luke about prayer. She didn't realize I was, I was thinking much about that uh, last verse that talks about the, uh, the gift of God's Spirit. She didn't realize that, but the passage in Galatians chapter 5 that deals with the fruit of the Spirit. We all want that, don't we? We all want to exhibit and show all those, that fruit, fruit singular, because when you're filled with the Spirit of God, you have all of those. When you're filled with God's Spirit, you don't just have a little bit of meekness, a little bit of love, you've got it all. Because the same Spirit who possesses those things is dwelling in you in fullness and working in you with full power that all of those fruits are demonstrated and clearly seen. But before you ever get to that list of the fruit of the Spirit, you have another list. And Paul writes, led by God, in verse number 16 of Galatians 5, And this I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. There's a command. That's a command. You walk in the Spirit. Can I tell you a problem? So many of us walk in the flesh all day long, all week long. We come to a meeting sometimes like this. We, we hear preaching. We feel a little bit uncomfortable and convicted. We realize we're doing wrong. We realize we're walking in the flesh. But this is a command. You can't sit around and hope God strikes you with a bolt of spiritual lightning and sets everything in order. You walk in the Spirit. The Spirit of God lives within you. If you've been born again, he lives within you because Jesus said, if you don't have the spirit, then you have nothing to do with him. That's what he said in the book of Romans chapter 8. The spirit lives in you. Now walk in the spirit. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. You feel that way sometimes? But, what's this? If ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, meaning they're clearly seen. Here's what they are. Which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. Those first four in verse number 19 all have to do with sexual impurity. Verse number 20, idolatry, Witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies. By the way, the word heresy means to choose. Pick and choose which part of the Bible you want to follow and which part you don't. You might say, I'm not a heretic. I don't believe. No, no, no. If you're picking which parts you want to follow and which parts you don't, 
then you are dabbling with heresies. Envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is. So you've got the works of the flesh compared to the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I want you to do, a little, do yourself a little test because we all want to be filled with God's Spirit. But are you walking in the Spirit? You can't be walking in the Spirit and then partaking in the works of the flesh. That's our problem. And if you do, when you do decide to pray, your prayers don't go any higher than the ceiling. They don't get answered of God because you're walking in the flesh, not in the Spirit. There's our problem. And so we go back to our text in Luke chapter 11. Forgive us our sins. It would do you well every day to sit down on your knees, get down on your knees and open up to Galatians chapter 5 and ask God, are these works of the flesh present in my life? If so, God deliver me. Deliver me. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's your pattern of prayer. And then he gives us a parable. Well, as soon as you learn that pattern of prayer, so every once in a while somebody says, I don't really know how to pray. Just talk to God. He gives you this because he gives you this pattern for those who don't know how to pray. Don't feel ashamed. Nobody is born knowing how to pray. Jesus teaches us how to pray here. And now he teaches us another very important lesson. Watch this next lesson. He does it through a parable. And this is where I want to spend the rest of our time this evening. He gives a parable involving three people. Really, it's a par parable about you and a friend. Look what it says. Which of you shall have a friend? So there it is, you and your friend. It's a parable about you and your friend. Which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. Now watch this. Here's the next level of prayer. Once you get beyond, Lord, teach me how to pray. Now it's the very determination and essence of prayer. So now we go to another level. Jesus brings us to another level. So when you are praying, I want you to get a hold of this, he says. Now notice something very, very interesting in our text. There is very little thought in this parable of personal need or happiness. This man, when he goes to his friend, you, Jesus says you and your friend, you, when you go to your friend, which we know to be God the Father, this man is not going for himself. He's not going to get something for himself. He's not going for a personal need or for a happiness. Can I tell you uh, this evening, there are many earnest Christians, good Christian people, who pray only enough to keep themselves from going backwards and just enough to maintain the position that they have attained without much growth or spirituality or Christ-likeness at all. That's most, Christian, most Christians today. They pray only enough. Just, they're just praying enough to barely hang on so they don't go back. They're praying just barely enough so they can squeeze out of temptation today. But can I tell you this evening, can I just bring something to your attention? Surely, the attempt to only continually pray for ourselves must be a failure in prayer. 
It's not wrong to pray God will deliver you from temptation. We're given that here. It's not wrong to pray He'd provide for your daily needs. We're given that here. But there must be more to prayer as Jesus shows us here than just always only, only worrying about ourselves. It's almost like it's a defensive view of prayer rather than an offensive or aggressive view of prayer. What about you? Think about it. This is, Jesus is bringing us to the work of intercession here, praying for others. Because let me, let me just point out, what is Jesus doing today? He is seated at the right hand of the throne of our Father in heaven. What's he doing? Where he ever liveth to make intercession for the saints. The Lord Jesus' work today is a work of prayer, praying for the saints. And so this parable about you and your friend or a parable about you and your God is dealing about you and your relationship with God, having a closeness to God so that you can go to God on behalf of others. Now, can I ask you tonight, would you look here for a moment? Are you close enough to God that you can go to him and ask not just for you, but for somebody else? Now, that, that's the test of true friendship, isn't it? That's a, that's a test of true um, closeness. Because I would never go to you and ask you for something for another person if you and I didn't have a close enough relationship. If you and I weren't good friends, if we weren't tight together, then I wouldn't go to you and say, listen, listen, I've got a friend who needs your help. But if we were close, I could go to you for anything. And this is the key. Look at it again. Which of you shall have a friend? That friend is God. Did you know it's possible for the creator God of the universe to be your friend? That's amazing. James chapter 2 and verse number 23. Let me read it for you here. You've heard this before. Listen to this verse. Amazing. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called what? The friend of God of God. Can you imagine? I, I, don't, I don't want to be called the great, uh, look, he was the great this or the great that. Or, oh, I tell you what, he was, the, he was a really good friend or a really good neighbor, a really good preacher. No, no, no. The friend of God. Whoo, wouldn't that be a wonderful testimony? The friend of God. Now, how on earth did Abraham get that testimony? I'll tell you how. When God spoke, he listened and obeyed. Now you can't, no way on earth can you ever say God is your friend as long as he's talking to you, talking to you, talking to you, and you sit there with your fingers in your ears because you're determined to live your life the way you want to live it. Some of you, God has been speaking to you year after year after year, and you won't listen to him, and you wonder why he won't listen to you. Your friendship has a two-way street, doesn't it? Exodus chapter 33 tells us a little bit more. Let me read you for you a little verse. Exodus 33 and verse number 11. Beautiful. Listen to this. Speaking about Moses. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. Now that's the kind, that's the kind of prayer I'm interested in. I was watching a little video made documentary made on the life of an old mountain preacher in the southern part of the states back in the late 1800s. 
He was criticized because of his crude way of praying. All the other sophisticated, educated people said, well, you know, you pray, you, you pray like you're actually, you pray like, here's what they said, you pray like you're talking to God. And he said, excuse me, to whom do you talk when you pray? That's a good question. Talk like he's your friend. Get along with God and talk face to face as if he's your friend. 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse number 7, we have the same thing given, the testimony of a friend. Let me just find that for you. 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse number 7, listen to this. And the Bible says in verse number 5, And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of, of the Lord before the new court, and said, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven? And rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thine hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? Art not thou our God, who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel, and gavest it to the seed of Abraham, thy friend forever? You see, Jehoshaphat understood something. Jehoshaphat understood, look, if God would be friends with Abraham, surely God would be friends with me. What about you? Oh, well, I, you know, I, uh, I, I really want to pray, but I'm just not very good. You know, I just don't feel like anybody's listening. Well, maybe, maybe you feel that way because you're not listening to him. John chapter 15, Jesus tells us in verse number 13, Greater love hath no man than this, than that a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus already proved his friendship to you. And so in return, he asked us to lay down our lives for him. I die daily. You see, we're too selfish and too worried about us. If we don't feel just a certain way when we pray, we give up. If we don't get what we want when we want it, we give up. You've lost out what true friendship is all about. True friendship is about sacrifice. True friendship is about laying down your life. And if Jesus laid down his life for you, the least you can do is get down on your knees and pray every day to the one who died for you. Look what he says. Look what he says in the next verse. If, this is in John chapter 15, verse 13, 14, and 15. Verse 14, ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I command you. Oh, I want to be the friend of God. Are you obeying him? Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends, for all things I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Let's go back to our little parable. Which of you shall have a friend? Starts right there. You can't really pray for somebody else and expect anything to happen if you don't have a friendship with him. Let's get that sorted first. Which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, friend, lend me three loaves. I want you to learn something here with me. I'm learning this. Look at the first little thing we find here after we notice the business about being a friend with God. Look at the urgency of this prayer. Now you, Jesus says, go to your friend, which is God the Father, at what time? Midnight. Do you know what midnight is? That's the most awkward hour of all. It's the hour of unexpectancy. Remember what Jesus said? He said, look, watch and pray, for you know not 
And at midnight, remember the parable of the ten virgins? At midnight, the cry went out. It's an hour of unexpectancy. And so when Jesus says at midnight, what he means is that this need was an unexpected need. It was a need not for you. You go to God for a, for a friend, for somebody else. But it's very urgent, an untimely hour. An hour when your friend comes to you hungry. Hungry. In need. And this is about urgent prayer. When's the last time you got urgent about prayer? When's the last time a need came to you from somewhere around the world or somewhere nearby and that need so possessed your soul that you couldn't help but get down on your knees in the midnight hour? Out of urgency. Job chapter 16 and verse 21 a uh, very interesting verse. Listen, boy, if you could ever get a chance to study the life of, life of Job, he teaches us how to, how to go through suffering. But Job chapter 16 and verse number 21, listen to what he says. Oh, that one might plead for a man with God. Did you ever notice that verse? Oh, that one might plead for a man with God as a man pleadeth for his neighbor. This is a matter of urgency, a prayer of urgency. Can I just ask you to do something tonight? Open your eyes to the need all around you. When's the last time you got urgent? When's the last time your prayers got urgent? Most of the time we pray just to pray. We pray because we're supposed to pray. When's the last time you got urgent with your prayer? But look what else. You have to notice as well, there is a willingness there that is not normal. Now, Jesus says, this man took his friend in at midnight. And he didn't have anything. He didn't have anything to give him, but he was willing to take him in anyways. And he was willing to go find help for that friend. That's what he says. Which of you shall have a friend? And so go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves, because a friend of mine in his journey has come to me. So here's somebody who was willing at midnight to bring a friend into his home even though he knew he didn't have anything to give his friend, he couldn't have given the excuse, look, I'm sorry, but I don't have anything. And he wouldn't have been lying. Can I tell you the problem with much of Christianity today is we keep turning people away because we don't have anything. Somebody comes and says, I want to be saved, I don't know what to do. We turn them away because we haven't got anything in our soul to give them. Somebody comes with a heartbroken experience. Somebody comes just absolutely broken and we don't know what to do. We don't have anything to give them at all. And because we don't have anything to give them, we turn them away instead of getting on our knees and looking for something to give them. He was willing to have them in. Most people will excuse themselves tonight because they don't have anything to give. I wonder if that's you. I, I'm telling you, the amount of time I've heard Christians tell me they can't evangelize because they, they just... They don't have any gifts or talents or abilities. You know what they're saying? I can't help you because I don't have anything. But there, here's a man who gave himself at midnight to go looking for exactly what that person needed. He sacrificed his rest. He sacrificed his comfort to find out whatever that man needed, he was going to get. Now let me ask you tonight, would you look this way? Will you do the same? Bible says, love seeketh not its own. But we're too busy searching and seeking after our own, trying to get something for us that we don't have time to worry for somebody else. 
Do you know, it's very possible, interesting thought here. It's very possible to do a great deal of faithful, earnest work for our fellow humanity without truly loving them. Do you know that? Do you know, I can be a preacher. I can be a pastor. Look here for a moment. I can be a pastor, and I can, I can serve the people in my church well. I can work hard at preparing a sermon. I can go preach in the streets. I can work hard at Sunday school. I can do all of those things without really loving people. Think about a lawyer who says, I'm going to take your case on. Doesn't really care for the person. He's not interested in the person at all. It's his job. It's his responsibility. He might be good at his job, and he might, he might win the case, not because he cared about the person he was defending, but because he was good at his job. And there are far too many Christians who are good at their job, but don't have any love. This man brought him in because he loved him and cared for him and was willing to give of himself. Now here's, I think, one of the most important truths in this parable. Look at it with me. Look at his plea. The whole motivation. Look at this. A friend of mine, in verse number six, in his journey has come to me. Look at the next phrase. And I have nothing to set before him. This is of extreme importance. Why would we go to somebody at midnight to try to get three loaves of bread for a friend? Because you haven't got it yourself. Why would somebody get on their knees at the midnight hour at one o'clock in the morning, whatever time it might be? Why would somebody get on their knees and face and pray and beg and wrestle with God? Because they know they don't have anything themselves. And one of the great problems, look here, one of the great problems in Christianity today, one of the great reasons why we don't pray is because we have too much to give. Too much to give of our own self, of our own strength, of our own ideas, of our own opinions. We're giving all the time, giving out what we have. Oh, another broadcast, another production, another little daily ditty, another little, we got a lot to give. Not until you and I come to the point where we realize we've got nothing, nothing to give. And that's why we need to get on our knees in prayer because what we have is rotten, it's useless, it's gone. We've spent all that we have. All that we have is gone of no avail. And now I must get on my knees. I must humble myself and go to somebody richer than me who has all that I need and all that you need. That's praying. That's when we get something accomplished in prayer. This is the very strength of prayer. I have nothing God and you have everything. That is when our prayers get answered. What about you? May the Lord bring us to the end of ourselves. May the Lord bring us to the end of our resources. And may he give us faith. You can't help but notice this is a man of faith. He, he believed that he could go to his rich friend at midnight knock on his door, tell him what he needed, and he believed his friend not only would be able to give him what he needed, but also his friend would be willing to give him what he needed. That's faith. Do you know what I, what do we do? I'd say, well, look, just get in the bed here. In the morning, we'll go talk to him, see if we can get you some bread. No, 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 now. 
Right now, you're hungry now, you need it now. I'm going now because I've got a friend who told me any time, any day, I can come to him and he would take care of me. And so he believed. And by faith, he got up and went to his rich friend. Can I ask you tonight, do you have faith? Where's your faith? Over and over in God's word, he calls upon us to pray. Over and over, countless, countless times, pray. And then he not only urges us to pray, but he urges us to believe that he will answer. Do you believe that? Can I tell you why many of us don't pray? Because you don't believe God's going to answer you. You don't believe he's going to answer you. And if you don't believe he's going to answer you, of course you're not going to get up at midnight and go ask him. Why would you get up at midnight to disturb your rest and disturb your comfort to go ask somebody for something that you don't really think he's going to listen and give you anyways? That's why a lot of people don't pray. That's why a lot of people won't last more than four or five minutes in prayer because they think, what's the use? But when you get in your mind these promises, ask and it shall be given. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. If you get these promises in your heart and you lay hold of them, then you'll ask and you'll believe. you believe that he is not only able to answer your request, but he's willing as well. Now, something happens that he didn't expect. He shows up at his friend's house at midnight full of faith, full of confidence. I've got a friend, I know he'll hear me. I'm, he can help me, he's very wealthy, and I know he will help me. And he gets to that friend's door, and he knocks, and he from within shall answer and say, trouble me not. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. You know what happens? He faces an unexpected hiccup. He thought he was going to pray, and that man was going to jump up, Johnny on the spot, pop the bread in the oven, pull it out of the oven, three hot loaves, fresh loaves, bake there on the spot, fanciest bread you can imagine. That's what he thought right then and there, but it didn't happen. Now, this is where most Christians quit. They ask one time, and they hear, not right now. Sorry, I can't. And so they'll go away like Titus. When he doesn't get what he wants. Go away with their lips stuck out. Thinking God's a meanie. That's sometimes what children think. When they don't get what they want when they want it. But you don't understand that. God is not in heaven being mean to you. God is trying to give you something. As much as he's trying to give your friend something. You don't realize. That in God's waiting. He is trying to give you something. As well as giving your friend something. Yes, he's going to give your friend that bread. But he wants to give you faith. He wants to build your spiritual muscles. He wants to build your endurance. And your faith. And look what else. He knows that if you'll keep praying. Then that relationship will grow stronger and stronger. And that time of communion will be increased. Can you imagine if God gave us everything we wanted the first time we asked him? There wouldn't be much of a relationship, would there? No, no, we, we'd treat him like a, like, an, like a cash machine. Pop our card in, pump, pump, pump the, punch the number in there, get our cash, and we'd be gone. 
No, no, God desires for us to dwell with him, to commune with him, to talk with him, to have a relationship with him. And so therefore, sometimes he's going to drag it out a little bit so you'll talk to him more. So he can bless you and bless them. Not every delay is a crisis. Some of us have been praying, Lord, lift this band so we can get back to normal. No, no, you may not recognize it. This is a blessing from God. And so importunity, that's the word used there. That word importunity means shameless. No shame at all. You don't keep asking. I, this is my, I, don't know, I think my wife must have taught my children this principle. But they'll stand by my chair like a parrot and ask me 43 times in a row the same question until I finally answer them the, the answer that they want to hear. Now that's the same principle here. Ask, ask, ask. And he says, look, I say unto you, Jesus is telling you this about his father. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because of, he is a friend, yet because of his importunity, because of his shamelessness, because he believes that Jesus said, if you ask, you will receive, he will honor that and bless that. And he will give him as many as he needeth, as much as you need. But most of us give up. I love this little prayer. It's really kind of a th threefold little prayer. Look what he says in, in, uh, in that verse 5 and 6. He says, at midnight he comes and says, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to give him. So, you, Lord, please give me, meaning, meaning you have what I need. My friend is in need, and I'm your friend. That's the way he prayed. Father, you, I'm your friend. You told me. You give me whatever I needed, and I know you've got everything I need. And I'm not, ask, I'm not asking for me, I'm asking for them. What about you? As many as you need. And then he goes on to give those precious words that we all know. Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. And then he leaves us with that last little understanding. He didn't want you to feel like that our Father, our Father in heaven is sat in the house not willing to help us. He is willing. But it, that was the best way to explain be persistent in your prayers. Persevere in your prayers. And then he tells us, look, if you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Now let me add one last little excellent thought on this. What was he asking for? Bread, the most essential thing of life. Do you know what we ought to be asking for? That bread of heaven that we could give to those in need. We can feed them, feed their souls, feed their hungry, searching souls with that which is most important. And the avenue for that comes through the empowering and filling of his spirit. So many of us are dead and lifeless in our Christian walk, powerless. May God make us true men and women of prayer. Persistent. Don't give up. Filled with His Spirit, believing He'll grant unto us all that we need for His glory. Let's pray.